to down your unders. Down your unders. Review and dissection of content from some of the sharpest minds in the game. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Art of War. Down Under. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode 59 of the Art of War Down Under podcast. My name, as always, is Adam Camilleri. I'm joined by two of my Australian brethren, uh, two gentlemen are much renowned Down Under. First and foremost, being current WTC member for Team Australia, uh, the person in Australia who last won a CanCon, that being in 20, the start of 2020, uh, or is it 2019? Either, either. Uh, this is the amazing, the incomparable Christopher Wright. Hello, brother. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing well. Uh, that was that was very kind of you. It was a bit mean to our other guests that you called me uh, first and foremost, but, uh, you know, I'll take it. <laughs> I'll cop it on the chin, mate. Uh, <laughs> cop it. And the second of our uh, dynamic duo is uh, Mr. Denise Langama of the Noble Blokes of Queensland and everything top-end fame. How you doing, dude? Hey, Adam. Thanks for uh, having me on. It's, uh, I'm looking forward to uh, talking about the Emperor's Finest, the Space Marines, and, uh, of course, uh, yeah, an absolute you... pleasure to be here with you, with Chris Wright. Thanks. Yeah, thank you so much, both of you, for coming on. Um, for those of you who don't know, Denise is from The Normal Blokes, which is one of the is possibly the longest-standing Australian 40K podcast, almost definitely is, I think, by this stage. You guys on, is it three or four years on the trot now? Uh, we started t- mid-2018, so, yeah, pretty much three years. Dude, amazing. Where can people find you guys? What do you guys talk about and why should people listen? Yeah, so um, I guess we we are all about uh, improving the competitive 40K experience. So you can find us on iTunes, on Spotify. Uh, we've got a website and we're on YouTube as well. So just search the normal blokes 40K and you'll find us. Um, we talk about you know the current state of the game here in Australia. We we usually like to interview guests who um, are doing quite well in tournaments or, or have a, a special ability in certain areas. And we like to highlight our local community members, especially up here in Brisbane as well. I know um, both Adam and Chris, we've, we've had you on the show uh, in the past. So, um, yeah, we if, if you're keen to follow what's going on in Australia and uh, get a bit ahead of the game uh, in your local scene, then, yeah, check us out. Absolutely amazing place to do so. Go and check them out. They can be found pretty much anywhere and everywhere you can find, uh, you know, good podcasts. Also, they have a patron, which I'm a member of. You should, you should too, if you like them and like what they do, jump on board. Uh, apart from that, Chris, you don't have much to plug, but you are lovingly and wonderfully committed to the WTC team, which is something that we've, uh, us in the, the WTC circles have wanted you on the team for the last kind of three years. So congratulations and welcome to the side, man. Very happy yeah, to thanks. have I'm you there. I'm super excited to be on there. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, really, really excited for the opportunity. I really hope we actually get to go there. Um, you know, it's still a bit up in the air of whether in Australia we'll be allowed to travel internationally next year. But, um, oh, man, I'd just be so excited to go and throw down with the best and see if we can, yeah, bring home the win. I reckon if we if we go in 2022, I'm calling it early. We get a, Australia gets a podium. If we can go in 2022, we're getting a podium. Yeah. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm calling the <laughs> shot very, very, very early because uh, I'm I'm mad keen. But a little bit about this show. We're going to be doing the ninth edition Chaos Space Marine. Sorry, not Chaos, <laughs> Chaos Space Marine. Um. The ninth edition Space Marine <laughs> Codex retrospective review. So. Yeah, yeah, what a faux pas. Uh, so, you know, six to nine months after Kratos comes out, we liked, we, we, after we've done the original review, you know, we usually review a week, the week of release, the week of pre release, or within, you know, hopefully within a month if a bunch come out as a cluster like they did with T Suns and Grey Knights. Um, but six months, nine months, a year afterwards, we'd like to look back on that codex, what our impressions were, get some, get some notable people who've played that codex through the length of its release, which both of these gentlemen have in different iterations. Um, Chris Wright um, was playing 
some Marines at the start of 9th edition and one CanCon with an Iron Hands build at the time. And uh, Denise has been playing Death Watch quite exclusively currently as well. You've played some Blood Angels recently also, haven't you? Yeah, I've been bouncing around the, uh, the Marines book. I, I've been focusing on Death Watch, but uh, Blood Angels I ran down at VTC, Adam, when, uh, when we were down there. So, yeah, I've been, been seeing what they have. Yeah, so I've got, put these two gens on because they've both got great minds for the game. But first and foremost, let me tell you a little bit about this podcast. If you are just joining us or you're just turning in, I've just discovered the Art of War Dana podcast. This is a two-part podcast, the first and foremost being uh, a review or dissection of content or either that or just an extrapolation of the current meta, the current meta game. Um, lovingly curated for you guys by myself and the wonderful Seamus Ronan, in addition to all the grandos people at the Competitive 40k Network, uh, which is us and the rest of the Art of War crew. And if you would like to purchase the second part of this podcast, which for us will be sitting down answering a huge swathe of marine-related questions with these wonderful two talking heads, over on part two, you can purchase that um, part two over either on Patreon, you can look us up, Art of War Dead Under, or you can find us on the theartofwar40k.com, where you can purchase the second part of this, in addition to the second part of the awesome and amazing Art of War podcast, or the Art of War Unbroken podcast. Jump on one click for a bundle deal to get all three, if you so please. Um, and yeah, hopefully you'll join us over there. But into the meat and potato th- of things today, we are going to be starting this review on page 94. But before we jump in to start talking about the chapter tactics and how they've progressed and what's winning, what's losing, and how they really held up over time, I want to get your guys' impressions of the Marine book when it first came out. Um, we'll start with Chris. When, it, when this Marine book first came out, it was obviously a downgrade from what they had because what they had before was erroneously toxic <laughs> and destructive, which you piloted to great effect. When you saw this Marine book, what were your first impressions? What were your feelings about it? Yeah, no, um, I think that's a, a very good summary. I think the the eighth ed, late eighth ed Marine Codex was um, quite a lot overpowered, and this one it felt like a really good adjustment. It felt like they had toned uh, toned it down just a little bit, taking a bit of the edge off it, but still had plenty of power. There were still a couple of broken things in there, um, which they have, uh, I think, more or less. Uh, nerfed back a little bit, which we'll probably um, get to um, in part. But yeah, I was re- I was really happy with the balance of this codex when it came out. Mm. Denise, what were your thoughts when you first uh, got through this one cover to cover? Yeah, look, it's it's interesting because in the last kind of eighteen to twenty four months, Marines have copped such a bad rap, haven't they? Like they've been called like the most toxic thing ever for for so long. And I think um, this book was far more balanced than the eighth edition counterpart. Um, and it was really nice to see, um, you know, the other, other chapter tactics like Blood Angels and, and Dark Angels kind of be pulled into this whole uh, codex as a whole. Um, and uh, I guess the, the biggest thing that we we kind of felt, Adam, was when the Marine book came out, the Necrons came out after that, a few other books came out, it started to – the Marine book was really the one that started to, to show that armies that had a ninth edition codex with ninth edition secondaries – would really pull ahead of others. Mm. And mm-hmm. it was interesting because the books that came up after Marines couldn't really tussle with them as well. So they started to just really carry through the edition as, as a dominant force until, you know, earlier mm. this year. But um, but I think now they've, they've kind of found their place um, and it'll be really interesting to talk about how a lot of these things have progressed. Yeah, it's almost like there's a... So this this codex and this review comes with some caveats. So we have to say, that we're looking through this trying to localize our view of this and not trying to take into account the slew of um of supplement codexes that change the way this book functions just because we literally 
don't have that much time and that's really a really hard thing to quantify all at once because it feels like marines have become their own super faction in and of themselves yeah. and the marine yeah. metagame between the ever-shifting landscape of ninth edition and where marines are able to go through transversing all these different um all these different supplements really alters how we got to see this thing so i when i first reviewed this book and i tried to look at this book in a vacuum the first one the first word that came to my mind because i was lo- looking at it from the eighth edition one was bland like this is quite bland this is quite a bland book um coming from all the spicy crazy stuff you could do with the last one to this one i thought wow this is really toned back this is really really basic and then that made me think oh well because that's because they're just going to you put all the spice in the supplements and and that that seems to have have borne fruit especially with the dark angels stuff and hopefully black templars we'll get to that another day um but yeah does that ring true for you guys because when i first discovered a cover i'm like it seems pretty basic. It seems really basic. It seems like vanilla ice cream, you know? You're happy to have it when you don't have any ice cream, but if you can have any other flavor, you're going to go for it, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm trying to remember what it was like before the supplements came out and, like, how, how um, not oppressive, but how, like, dominant was that Dark Angel supplement when it came out? You know, it was so powerful. Yeah. But thinking yeah. before that, Marines really didn't have as much. Like they had the White Scars builds that were doing great at the start of ninth. They had the Salamanders builds that were doing great at the start of ninth. Um, and you know, Raven Guard was still you know pop- popping its head out. Um, but yeah, it was really those supplements, wasn't it, that, that pushed them up to that next level? Yeah, yeah. Well, of course, it, like it, Iron Hands just straight out of this book isn't very potent, but Iron Hands plus their supplement is still crushing skulls, like so to speak. Uh, but so just talking we're going to be starting this review now on chapter 49 we're going to be going through all the major sections of the rules and giving you know 5 10 15 minutes of of chatter upon each one how they've transversed the last kind of year of play for this book but chris um you, you you've played quite a few different chapter traits chapter tactics how do you think they're holding up rules wise just like stroke for stroke you know you, you look at something like cult of strife or uh, dark technomancers or you know lucius and you compare these top level ones to some of the ones in this book do you think these ones still hold merit do they still hold flavor and power um i think marines are slightly behind the the top new releases um yeah i think you know you're h- half a step behind drukari admex sisters um sort of waiting to see on orcs green knights thousand sons I do think Marines are powerful enough, though, that if you skew your little bit, um, you, you really build it with one or two of those factions in mind, you can um, still have a favourable matchup there. Of course, you do um, sort of run the risk of leaving yourself a little more vulnerable to some other factions when you do that. Though. Yeah, totally agree there. Denise, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think um, someone in our scene summed this up, that Marines are still good. Everything else is just gooder now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah. it, it feels like in 8th edition, for those who played, pe- people who played Necrons, who ran the triple Doomsday Arc, triple, you know, yeah. Arts, Doom Scythe, and Drakari, who had the triple DC Ravages, like they always had this unit because without it, the whole army fell apart. And now mm. we'll talk about this probably a bit more, but now stuff like the Volkite Contemptors and the Redemptors are that mm. thing. It's like, we need this to carry us through all these harder games. Otherwise yeah. we kind of fall apart. You're absolutely right. It's that crutch. Yeah. It's that, you get that crutch level unit. And the, the three, the triple DDAs, you spot on was that for the Necrons. They had that crutch unit. Um, and we can talk about, that's actually a, a great, I could do a, an episode on that about, you know, what, what, what differentiate a crutch unit. But talking about some of these chapter tactics, I mean, at the start of this edition, I remember the the same CanCon that you won 
Chris, uh, the LVO was taking place at the same time, and there was an Imperial Fist army there that was first turn tabling people. It's run by Manny Chima. Um, but Imperial Fists, like, are nowhere. They're nothing. They're like the worst one of the bunch now. So this thing has gone through some alterations. I remember, like, the ebbs and flows of the, uh, the Marine metagame. I mean, it started off Iron Hands, went to White Scars, then went from White Scars to Salamanders. Uh, salamanders to a bit of, to, to Dark Angels. Now that's it's kind of proliferated out from the Dark Angels game as well. And now um, we've always had you know Blood Angels were strong for a very long time, and then they dropped off due to Death Guard and Dark Angels. You know, mitigating most of what they do. Death Watch has kind of just been bubbling away. Hell, we've had we've had dominant Ultramarine builds. In fact, it's hard to look at this page, this page uh, 94, 95, and not see one good build that has come from every single one of these of these things, except for maybe Crimson Fists and Flesh Terrors. Is that a fair statement? Does that mean that this has been a good section of the book? Um, I'd like to uh, point out that I think you're forgetting exactly when the Marine Codex came out. So um, it was the previous 8th Ed Codex that I won CanCon with um, uh, and the Imperial see, Fists at LVO and Iron Hands at LVO and whatnot. Um, but it was, the, it was the same supplements, and I, was, was I said I wasn't going to do this. So this, yes. this, this, this is just showing how confused I am between like how much of a blur the last 18 months or two years has been for, <laughs> for us all. So I do apologize there. But yeah, um, I mean, but I think that still holds true. I mean, I can still, even in the this in the ninth edition codex, I can still look at all these chapter chapter tactics. And yeah, I, I, you're right. Apart from Imperial Fists, um, I think just about all of them have had some top meta build, haven't they? I suppose yeah, I that, so. that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? It's, it pretty much said that there's some strength there. I quickly talking about chat, the successor traits because there's an interesting phenomenon that's, that's happened due to the way in the wording of, of the the supplements. You could pretty much if you took any supplement and then just instead of taking your base chapter trait, you took Born Heroes and Whirlwind of Rage. You just get a better version of that book, don't you? That, that seems to be a phenomenon occurring right now. Denise, is that pretty accurate? Yeah, like we're seeing it with uh, with Space Wolves, with Iron Hands, even you know people taking Born Heroes, Whirlwind of Rage, because in in an army that you don't rely on your specific successor secondary, um, and you know if you don't rely too heavily on you know needing a free relic, if that makes sense, um, you you can pretty comfortably just take that and make your chapter tactic better because just of just because of the way that Ninth is playing right now, having that you know ability just as a chapter tactic is is phenomenal um just to run in there and, and fight on objectives so um yeah like we're seeing some space wolf lists uh in america i think his name is jaime um paris yeah. um he's doing really well he was a charity hammer um he's also been kicking butt on tts so like there's um you know really good space wolves builds like that and we're seeing the iron hands build i know hayden Waldock ran that uh, about uh, about good nine months and ago. hayden, so, hayden yeah, was doing the same thing with raven guard as well wasn't it he? he was taking yeah, yes raven guard successes uh, chris is there a is there a fine line between the the chapter traits that are worth taking and this combo i uh, just to break it down for you board heroes each time model with this tactic makes a melee attack if that model's unit made a charge move this turn um add one to the attack's hit roll People love using that to mitigate Thunder Hammers and Power Fists. Um, and then the other one, Whirlwind of Rage, is each time model with this chapter taken makes a melee attack. If that model's unit made a charge move, was charged, or heroically intervened, and a modified hit roll of a six scores an additional hit. Uh, yeah, Chris, is what's where's the fine line between this being just flat better than what you've got otherwise? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm not sure it is a particularly fine line. I think it it's pretty obvious in most cases. <clears throat> Excuse me. So white scars, like you want that advanced charge. Yeah. Um, there's no way you're going to give that up for anything else. Um, the other parts of the chapter tax are good too, but the advanced and charge is what you take it for. Um, but yeah, something like Raven Guard, it's not terrible, but it's nowhere near as good mm. as the really big buffs that you get from 
those successor traits you mentioned. Um, yeah, so in most cases, pretty obvious. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's pretty obvious where this is better. And I think if you want, if we wanted to do a little bit of a callbacksy, um, if you if you are not a shooting, if you are not just a flat shooting chapter tactic, like if you if you don't have you know, ultramarines, even if you do have ultramarines, um, start all, all iron hands. Like, this is just going to be better, isn't it? Like, it, only only really see Blood Angels and White Scars, like you pointed out, always take their chapter trait. You very, I very rarely see them go for this successor combo. But just about everyone else, if you want to turn, you know, your non-melee uh, faction into a melee faction, this is just it, isn't it? Yeah, the other two exceptions are Death Watch, who can't take successor yep, traits, and Dark Angels, who lose all of their rules. All their rules, <laughs> yes, as we've found out over many, many iterations. Of, yeah. Um, so jumping down to our next section, this one is Chapter Command. Now, this came out with a lot of a lot of consternation. This was something that absolutely shattered 8th edition and has... Well, I'm just going to go out. I think this is the best. This is the best section of the book. I think this is the best thing that's come out of this codex. And I think in the lexicon of ninth edition so far, this is the best build your own or upgrade side grade points grade thing that we've still seen so far. How do you guys feel about that? I'm not sure best is the term I would use. Um, it's the strongest, um, but I think a lot of it was broken, and probably all the broken things in the codex was in the chapter command section um particularly the chief apothecary for 15 points it was i think yeah um, 15 points but <laughs> yeah that was uh, that was some kind of joke wasn't it um but the chaplain's amazing the chapter masters are, that one's good 40 points is probably about right for that um yeah there's some incredibly strong things in there i'll agree um Denise, what are your thoughts mate look i i totally agree i think when this book came out just because it was so like a head and shoulders above any other character buff you could yeah. put in any other army. Like the fact that, um, that chief apothecary can, you know, heal two res one for free, you know, when you start getting the command, command point cost reduced on these strats that are quite impactful. Um, You've got the chaplain that gets very efficient. Uh, I think the chapter master, funnily enough, was probably the most balanced yeah, one. So, at 40 yeah, I agree. Um, it gave a big boost, but it, it seemed all right. Like 40 points is half another character. Yeah. So, you know, that's that seemed okay. Um, but, like, just highlighting a few things, like the chief librarian, for example, you know, getting a plus one to cast Warlord trade, getting extra powers, things like that, that was quite strong in certain factions. Like for me on the on the Death Watch point of things, that was amazing to have just in my pocket. Um, so yeah, I think that they're, they're a really big boost and I'm very glad that uh, a few of them have been toned down. Now. Yeah, agree. <laughs> and it pretty much all comes it all comes back to that apothecary. Isn't it? The apothecary was the erroneous one yeah. that went too far. The, the points adjusted that. But I always thought the, the, the biggest value, the one that was always going to see and, and give me its points back was the chappie. I thought like, oh, well, this chappie is just always going to be good. There, there can be some times when, you know, apothecary isn't in range or they just didn't kill anything or they didn't kill enough to make the apothecary worth it but the chappie never going to be a waste of points in my mind um especially with some of the things you yeah, can do with that great, sure. yeah um, i played the i played the techie as well for a while did you guys see the techie having much mileage i love him he's good yeah <laughs> yeah it's just, just like he, three healing is nice yeah sorry chris no you you would um it's just he, you know he fits in a few less lists than the other ones but yeah he's great um if you got the list for it yeah agreed all right um Anything else you guys want to touch on there? Because this is, I mean, it, was I right in saying this is the best of this kind of thing we've had so far? Like, I mean, I, I know the Drakari ones don't even hold up, and the Drakari I thought are the second best. And I, feel, I still think these are better because there's just more of them. There's more variety, whereas the Drakari ones have, like, three. Oh, look, I I actually think um, the Drakari ones are, are quite strong. Mm. Um, 
uh, the the Admech ones are good. Um, you know, like the, the artisans and stuff, they're they're quite good, and and they definitely buff the big units and, and things like that. But uh, look, yeah, for its time, this this section was amazing. Um, I'd be really interested to see how much of it is still getting used as the meta flows on. Yeah, I agree. I don't yeah. think. Well, do you guys ever think that the apothecary is going to be a bad take? I mean, I've actually stopped taking him in a lot of my lists, especially my Black Templars yeah. list, because I find I outpace him too well. I feel like he's always going to be evergreen in Blood Angels because they can put a damn jump pack on the guy, and he's a he's yeah. a HQ rather than an elite <laughs> choice. But uh, apart from that, like, I feel like the Chappie's going to be evergreen for sure, right? Yeah, definitely. Oh. Yeah, I think the Chappie and the Libby are, uh, are quite solid now. The Tech Marine has its uses. I think the apothecary is a number of these Marine factions move away from like heavy infantry mm. into like vehicles he gets a bit less useful yeah, right so spot on makes sense yeah. all right jumping over to the stratagems page 102 now i think this is both we can talk about this the most and the least because this is where we saw the biggest shift from last the last codex yeah it was obvious as it's always been a bit of bit of a paradigm shift from eighth to ninth where almost across the board apart from some select uh you know supplements and things stratagems have almost been depowered is that a fair statement do you guys think yeah yeah i think there's there's plenty of decent utility stratagems in them but um yeah you see a lot less broken stratagems you know two cp shoot whatever unit you want mm. again three cp <laughs> fight again with any unit a lot of that stuff's gone yeah so it's 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 probably more appropriate level yeah like the yeah. a lot of the big game defining game altering stratagems you know like like Vect, so to speak. A lot of those have been dropped off. Um, Denise, what were your thoughts of these strats when you first saw them? Yeah, it's it's almost like the strats copied into the fluff of the Marine book is like every unit has its specific role. Like there's a little strat for every unit here. Like there's a guerrilla tactics, there's skilled riders, there's trebuchets, there's crab pulses, you know, all this stuff that's specific to a single unit, which kind of feels like there's less that you can just dump five CP into to make it go faster versus if you have this unit, you have this application, one CP or two CP, bam, you get a bit more efficiency out of it, which which is nicer. It's, it's definitely less powerful than like an army-wide double fight with like a smash captain um but it also makes you think a little bit more about your unit selection in relation to the strats and budgeting your cp in relation to you know the units you take so i don't mind it man i think it's all right and it's still it's still fine like it's still pretty pretty okay well see i'm, I'm flicking through these uh, uh, so for a for a codex that has you know 90 odd whatever it is data sheets in it there's only there's only four pages of strats which isn't a huge amount some of these are the ubiquitous like almost one page of these are the ubiquitous every codex gets strats so there's realistically only like three pages of strats but looking through these there's only like three or four that i think i'm going to guarantee use every game like that's you know transhuman um probably uh suppression fire from the whirlwind because I, i'll take a whirlwind just about everything um and yeah, apart from that, like all specs and there's very little every game usage or very little build around here. Um, like I always use Guerrilla Tactics as well because I'm a I'm a silly boy. But uh, do you guys find there's way less mainstay and everything's more just, you know, right place, right time stuff? Yeah, I, th I think that's probably about right. And I, I think that's good. Um, you know, there's if you'll use the um, fall back and shoot with bikes or you'll use the ignore overwatch with your land speed of storm or or whatever um you know those stratagems are, are, are good they're useful you're not going to use them every game but um i think that you know that means they're at, at the right power level yeah there's a that, that's what you say you think that's the that's the level you want them to be where they're not just over overwhelmingly this is what i'm building around this is what i'm doing you think that's be a, a better change from what we had in eighth yeah 
Nice. Denise, anything to add? Yeah, I think Chris summed that up pretty well. It's I think it's less of a case now of building your units around the straps, mm. and now it's you know filling the straps in with what units well, you need, which is you know that's a, that's a great way of looking at it because you used to wrap your your army list around the stratagem use, and now it's kind of vice versa, yep. isn't it? You're wrapping the strats around yeah, the, around the units. Yeah, that's a good that's a really clever way of saying of saying it. Um, I don't think there's much else to talk about here. I think this is kind of the weakest part of the book. I think this, the strats is kind of the blandest, most basic part of the book. I think that's an obvious tone down from where they were, right? Uh, like when the supplements roll in, obviously they get refreshed. Mm. But like this main book, it's yeah, it's just it's just a baseline, really. Yeah, exactly right. It's just like giving you utility, some utility here, there, and everywhere. Um, one that I I'm interested we want to talk about terror troops. See this this was this broke people's brains when it came out. Like oh my god, it's like the worst unit in the book. With given the best rules in the book, and that being the denial of um, obsec, because a lot of people, this was the first time we'd seen this, and it broke people's brains. Has it borne any fruit for you guys? Has this, has, has this rule, you know, been looked at through any viewports where like this is actually going to be game defining? Because that's what it sounds like. That's what it feels like when you read it. But then the practical applications are they there? Yeah, I mean, like a few months down the track, when you realise a, a Reva lieutenant has uh, has the ability to use this, then, mm-hmm. then yeah, it's pretty sick. Yeah, exactly <laughs> what I was getting at. Because uh, I think that's been pretty. I, I mean, I I take one in most of my lists now as well, just because. I think he's incredible value. But so he, he's almost become, he was an auto tech for quite a long time, wasn't he? Uh, Chris, do you want to talk a bit about this one? Yeah, I think um, it was interesting. He mentioned, you know, the Reaver's the worst unit in the Codex, got the strat, and then, of course, everyone realized you don't need to take them. You can just make you lieutenant or Reaver <laughs> yeah. lieutenant. Um, and, that's, and that's why it got a lot of use. And, um, yeah, it's great because most armies are going to be interested in a lieutenant anyway, and it just gives him an extra extra use. Um, you know, you can use him for the reroll bubble, or if he gets into a position where he can uh, really give a, a big swing on the points, then that's a, a great thing to be able to do. Yeah, totally, totally agree. Um, are there any other real standouts here? I'm not seeing anything. I mean, I suppose how, how big a... I still see people making an argument for tremor shells. I mean, my, my good man, Waldark, he's just like, yeah, just chuck in a chuck in 120-odd point, whatever it is now, useless Thunderfire cannon, and in some matchups it'll win you the game. But um, that one was... I mean, it, I took three Thunderfires at every list I took from the, that 8th edition codex, the late 8th edition codex. Yep, started with my three Thunderfires fire cannons and then i filled out the rest of things <laughs> but that that seems such like because essentially the the, the strat still does the same thing but that's had the, the data sheets been flipped so hard uh but yeah that's fallen off an absolute cliff hasn't it yeah, they got nerfed into the ground mm. they were strength five ap1 and um, a lot of armies would camp in devastator doctrine all game so they'd be effectively ap2 mm. um and now they're strength four no ap um which is atrocious um yeah yeah, and they went up quite a few points as well. Um, so yeah, it's hard to hard to justify including them in the list, even though the strat is very good. Mm. So um, with the way the meta shifted, and there is a lot more um, toughness three and not so good armor save infantry running around, maybe they're not terrible. I don't know. I couldn't bring myself to put one in the list, but kind of get it. Yeah, me either. Yeah, but when you when you when like when you catch a unit of Repentia and like. You know, outside their rhino or on the table, not in reserve, you're going to feel pretty good. But literally, just about every other situation, you're going to be like, "Cool, enjoy your two-up save, mate." There you go. Maybe I did a wound. Um, it feels real rough. Uh, 
All right, we're going to move on to the Warlord traits now. This is uh, page 106 for those playing along. And we've got two here. Um, I've kind of about, I'm about to say never heard of any of the Vanguard Warlord traits. I'm hoping one of you guys will tell me I'm incorrect and they're amazing. Oh, we can we can talk about them. I quite like oh, them. Oh, good. See? See? I'd never heard of them. This is why I bring you guys on. Tell us a story, Denise. Why are they any good? Oh, did you want to cover the basic ones first, nah, Adam? Sorry. I already beat wait. We're okay. going to do a second cool. now. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so um look i mean the the issue with the vanguard warlord traits is it's hard to slot that character in like you're most likely taking some kind of captain lieutenant Mm. maybe chappy whatever like it's hard to make the choice for the actual phobos or vanguard you know lad um lord of deceit still holds up um just because there's a lot of stuff now that like wants to redeploy in your face or jump into your face um or deploy in the middle of the board. So you've got lists that are coming out with Admech Infiltrators. You've got, you know, you've still got some mobility with, um, with, with like orcs and things like that. You've got commandos that can set up on your doorstep. So um, a unit of infiltrators in general is not a bad idea for some marine lists now. I, I think, you know, if, if you don't want to get flattened in singles, at least a unit of five infiltrators with a helix is a good idea. And the, the nice thing about Lord of Deceit is you can set that up to screen you. And let's say if you go, uh, if you go first, you don't need them there, you can pull them out. Or if, if you know, if um, if you put them out to screen, you're, you roll off, you're, you win the roll, tell your opponent to, you know, uh, forward deploy first. They can't move because your infiltrators are right yeah. there. Um, and then you send them back to safety. So there's, you know, there's a few applications for that. Um, and, and look, that's really all I want to talk about, man. And the other option is shoot and fade, which we've got a unit like suppressors who weirdly do a fair bit for their points cost, but die like to a stiff breeze. Um so if you are keen to use a little unit of suppressors, both for their, you know, ignore overwatch utility as or as just a shooting platform, shoot and fade is kind of nice. But that's really all I want to cover. I still lament, and I was going to bring this up in the, the the data sheets, I still lament the fact you can't take six-man suppressor units. I just yeah, don't dude, comprehend. I'm sad that you can't take five suppressors in a Spectrus kill team for Deathwatch. That would oh, be dude. unreal. Yeah, dude, I still, why? Yeah, why? Nice. Yeah, why hold them down like that? Because if you could take six-mans... Man, they'd be worth using a chapter master on. They'd be worth so many more buffs. They'd be worth this. You know, fire and fade on six of them would be incredibly spicy. Um, jump over to the regular wall of trace. I'll hit this one over to. Hold on, hold on. I, I, I want to input uh, uh, on uh, this. Uh, 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 wall no, of uh, not uh, only. I, I agree. <laughs> Go. Sorry, there you go. I think I think some of them are very strong. Um, you know, the the redeploy one can be good, and yeah, the the, the shoot and fade one I think is would be amazing if that was a regular trait and you could put on that any unit. Mm. It's just, as you said, you, you can't take the um, big units of suppressors or whatever. Though, if you remember late last year, Adam, we were chatting a bit about death watch lists I was interested in and yep. um, kill team of five infiltrators, five last fusel eliminators. Eliminators, yes. Um, but at the time, I was like, they're just too expensive. It's just definitely not worth it. They're a lot cheaper now. 30 points for a Lazfuse Eliminator is not the worst. And I'm quite interested in, yeah, that that um, that kill team and the potential to the shoot and fade um, Warlord trait in combination with that. Damn. We're going to have to have a chat up. So I'll like be to. looking at that kill team. We're going to slide into each other's <laughs> yeah, DMs no. straight after this and start writing that list probably. <laughs> Sounds um, good. But yeah, that's spot on, man. Spot on. Because all the rules, these if these rules, if, this, if, the, if the names were switched and this was the regular Warlord Trace table, this would be sick. This would be yeah. sick. But the fact that it's so restrictive and you don't have... Outside Death Watch, like you just said, there there is actually a good Death Watch unit, which I completely forgot. I completely forgot you take five Eliminators. Um, 
And so, same reason. Why can't I take a six-man unit of Eliminators as well? Like, I could do, <laughs> you know, I can do uh, anything else can go up to six-mans. You know, Blade Guard, um, Inceptors, all of them. Why, why are the Phobos guys so restrictive? They just don't have enough boys in their, in their cadre, whatever. Um, Space Rewaller traits. I, there are still a bunch of these that I use all the time. Um, but funnily enough, there's only three that, um, and and one of them I think is ubiquitous. Like Rights of War is kind of the best one in the book, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say it's almost the best one in any of the supplements. Two, Adam's ring a big statement of the day. It's no one's telling me. Yeah, we've just got so no one's much telling. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No one's yeah, telling no me. Adam never heard of it. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty obscene, <laughs> isn't it? So for those following along at home, this is, uh, while well, Friendly Chapter Core, Chapter Character Unit, it was in six of this Warlord, has the obsec ability. Now, what it doesn't say here, unless it's being FAQ'd, is that you get, you get double. You, get, you don't get double obsec, do you? No. Which is, I don't think yeah, so. Yeah, which no. is, which is uh, probably, I mean, you can do that from, I think the Ancient buff gives you that. But um, it's probably the only saving grace here. It's, it's probably the only thing stopping this from just being utterly OP. But as it is right now, it's exceptionally good. Uh, the other two that I see play all the time is Imperium Sword and Champion of Humanity. Can you guys you guys make uh, any case for any of the other ones? Feel free to jump in whenever. Uh, look, I mean, like, Storm of Fire was nice in 8th edition. Um, I think it's a little bit less impactful now because of just doctrines. Um, and look, you don't really want your Warlord running um, to, and like, hordes of guys that you're going to affect with leadership. So fear's ma- Fear Made Manifest is often overlooked for other things. Um, so yeah, look, I think Rights of War is nice. The, the other nice bit about Rights of War is it's not just your core, it gives it to your characters as well. So you can have a single character just running around as obsec or giving it to other people. So yeah, I, I definitely think it's still the strongest. Fair. Um, Chris, what, what's the problem with Storm of Fire? Because on paper, it looks phenomenal. It looks like it, it is how it used to be. But what, what's the little, um, the T's and C's that make it not as good? Yeah, so it doesn't stack with Doctrine. So that's that's why it's not just everywhere. Um I think it is still still decent. Some armies um, that run, you know, the lot of dreadnoughts and really wish they could stay in Devastator Doctrine all game um, do sort of make some use of this one, um, get, you know, a little bit of the benefit of being in, in the Doctrine all game um, in some ways. So it, it's it's decent. It's just, yeah, nowhere near as good as if you um, if it's stacked with Doctrines. Fair enough. Um, onto the chapter wall of traits. We're probably not going to talk about these. We're actually probably just going to dodge straight over this page 107 just because it's just taking away value from whatever successor ones I, you know, supplement uh, reviews I do later because they're all pretty self-explanatory. I will say, brilliant strategist, mwah, lots of mileage. <laughs> yep, yep, <laughs> Any yeah, of those good ones, for sure. Yeah. Uh, over to the relics. I think this, this has been a, a pretty interesting discussion here. Uh, but quickly, Chris, what do you think of the relics overall? How have they held yeah, up over there's time? Some, uh, certainly some very strong ones. Um, yeah, I don't think there's anything overpowered in there. Um, but yeah, some good uh, ways, you know, ways to do more damage. You got your Teeth of Terror, which is great on, you know, any character that, um, particularly if they can't have another weapon, like your uh, classic Sanguinary um, Priest. Um, the Benediction of Fury is great on the Chaplain. Mm. Um, if you want to make your characters more survivable, there's some really good options there. Um, they don't super often see play, but they are they are good. Um, yeah, that's probably the main things for me. Denise? Yeah, like, um, you know, when the, the book first came out, there were some pretty cool ones that increased auras, like the Vox. Um, Oliver Hemant was nice just to, like, continue to stay in, like, that shock assault, quote-unquote, plus one attack. Um, you've got Benediction of Fury, which was always a, a hot one for the chappies, I think still pretty solid. Um, they just missed the mark with Tome of Malkador because of the FAQ saying you've got to take it in the same exactly. trip, which was really unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Look, I, I think this, the um, the supplement books just have so much more depth of relics than than what's in this book. Personally. Yeah, I agree. I totally agree with that. I think it's interesting that we don't see the like Army Dominus and the Shield Eternal taken all that much. I mean, I, I do think like the Shield Eternal has been downgraded a lot from the the three plus invulnerable it used to give. Now that you know they no longer do that, but um, it's it's always it's always interesting to me that all the Space Marines seem to be taking all the damage increasing relics or either that or stuff like the the vox spiritum and that's usually for a, it's usually just as much for a debuff as it is for a buff um i would i would jokingly say the tongue-in-cheek maybe the benediction of fury is kind of nuts in how in how good it is but only nuts when you take into account all the other crap you can put on chappies right yeah like it's, it's yeah, a head it's- and shoulders above the other combat um relics with the buffs right sorry chris i cut you off yeah no just just agree yeah it's um it's a good relic in its own right, but then when you chuck all the other things on him, yeah, he starts to get like a truck, doesn't he? Mm, absolutely right. And he seems to be one of that character as well. Seems to be one of the the evergreen for pretty much any any supplement you take. Doesn't matter. That the smash chap just seems to hold up. Um, it, yeah, but like I said, it, it does seem interesting that we always seem to gravitate towards the damage increasing uh, things for our characters. Like I've never once taken uh, armor and or, or shield eternal or any of the the armors or whatever's. But yeah, always in almost just about every one of my Marines list is Teeth of Terror and Benedict Fury or some combination of the two. Have, uh, question, question. Have either of you guys ever taken any of the guns? Dude, the Bellicose Bolt Rifle is actually something cool. <laughs> is that is that just for when you're playing um, Raven, Raven Guard though? Yeah, it's 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 cool just because you get four shots at strength five two damage. But um, I, I don't take it seriously, no. <laughs> Chris, any, have yeah, you taken any of the pistols ever? I haven't. Chris? I haven't taken any of the guns. <clears throat> haven't taken any of the guns myself, but... Um... I, you know, I think they were right. You could. It's just they're they're quite situational. You need to be in range, and the combat ones just make you hit so hard. Like it's just hard to justify the shooting ones, really. Yep, spot on. I, I don't think they're right. embarrassing. I, I just want to highlight. Sorry. Um, I think. Go, Chris. Sorry, Adam, the, I just. Wanted, no, oh, sorry, oh. Chris. You Chris, guys, finish. Okay. <laughs> Um, <laughs> uh, when you compare the, the guns and the pistols and whatnot to the early 8th edition codexes, they do look actually quite reasonable. Um, do you remember at the start of 8th edition, every codex would have a pistol, which would be like one shot, strength five, minus two, two damage. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would be it. Um, so, so the guns now, you know, like they're not embarrassing. You could take them if you wanted, but just not the strongest option. Like, it, yeah, right. we, I keep this, this is the biggest running meme on this, on this review. How good do they have to make a freaking relic pistol before we take it? How good? Yeah. What is this one? Where have we got here? We have Purgatorius, uh, range 18, pistol three, strength five, minus three, two damage. So literally it's 18 inch, strength five, minus three, two damage, three shots. Never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I love it. If it was six shots, uh, it's pretty good. Pretty good profile. Uh, anyway, moving on to the, the psychic disciplines. Uh, first up, oh, Adam. Uh, really quickly, sorry. I just wanted to mention there's there's two relics that um, some people might want to still consider. Um, the ghost weave cloak is actually kind of cool because it lets you just fly through units and you're permanently neg one to hit. So, like it, it can really dunk on people that trying to get in and kill a character. You've got like a mini keeper of secrets there. And the Armour Indominus, I know we've all kind of dunked on it a bit, but um, it's actually nice to put on um, characters who don't naturally have an invo. So it's it's nice to put on like a Libby or something to push them up a wound as well so they don't just auto-die if they, you know, perils 2d3, there's still a chance. Um, but of course that invo is nice. So yeah, sorry, just wanted to butt in with that. Yeah, because that's, that's the ones per game, 3 plus invulnerable save, which people are that's currently right. like, you know, going pretty nuts for 
on the Dreadnoughts from the new GK book, but of course we don't have a, a big stompy robot to give something like that. But you're absolutely right. There are some extremely high value characters, especially chapter masters. Like the, the fact that you pay 40 points for a chapter master and then you just let that guy walk around with a three up armor save and a four up involved that can be picked off by, you know, any old a single incubi could kill that dude. Uh, it feels pretty <laughs> bad at times, doesn't it? Or I think the guys for the, the models that can't take storm shields and stuff, that's pretty nice. But yeah, anyway, we'll move on to, uh, to the cycle. So yeah, the library's discipline hit with some fanfare. I, I remember some people losing their minds over the, the Invuln bubble and some other bits and pieces, um, and especially Nullzone uh, and Might of Heroes changing, et cetera, et cetera. Chris, have you seen much mileage come from the library's discipline? Has it hold, held up uh, with the addition of all the other psychic armies coming out? Yeah, it has. I mean, I've really looked at it with like the very recent psychic armies. But um, the five-up Invon bubble is is very strong. It's it's not worth losing your mind over, but it you know definitely worth taking. Um, yeah, and there's some other other good powers in there. Um, you know, getting Veil of Time in there is is useful. You're not going to take a librarian just for it, but you know it's it's still um, a nice thing to have. Might of Heroes mostly used to buff the toughness of one of your vehicles, to be honest. But you know it's it's a decent power. How do you feel about the tree overall? I mean, some of some of the new trees that are coming out, especially the the Grey Knights and T Suns ones, are obviously their psychic armor, so they're expected to be, uh, you know, have a pack a lot more punch. But just you know, putting this up against you know maybe the Dark Angels, the the Death Guard, things of that ilk, do you feel like this is worth it just to take a single Libby for some of these powers? I think it's worth it for the Invuln bubble. Um, none of the other powers scream um, to be taken. I think yeah, that they, they, they could be buffed up a bit. Um, but yeah, you know, just holds up, I guess. Mm. Denise, what are your thoughts? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, the the nice thing about Psychic Fortress, the Invo Bubble, is it's not limited to core. Mm. So you can have some really interesting applications with like repulses or transports and stuff that can sit in that Invo Bubble. Um, and it's it's still nice, but I guess it's very list dependent because if you're running a list with all these Vanguard vets and Blade Guard that you know, already have an invo, you don't need it, obviously, but stuff like the Redemptors and the other vehicle lists, it's it's quite nice. Um, I think Null Zone got hit pretty hard in this book compared to the previous book. I mean, yes, it it's nice that it casts on a seven, but taking away friendly models and vulnerable saves kind of hurts. Yeah. Um, yep. So it's it's nice, like in a Blood Angels army, if you're running around with Sanguinary Guard that, you know, have a two-up save or something, or, you know, Vanguard yeah. vets that don't need their four-up invo, they just sit on the two-up save. Like, that's nice, but it's it's just a little bit like crap if your characters are running in because they're quite squishy and they'll just fall over if they don't have their rainbows up. Um, yeah. Look, I, I think the discipline, you, you just it's just the opportunity cost, isn't it, of a HQ slot and the cost of a Libby, potentially a chief librarian for this tree. And I think a few other chapters like the Dark Angels and the Death Watch have, just have a better psychic tree. Mm. Um, so it's it's a trade off for that, I guess. So I think it's it's kind of middle of the road. I yeah, I think it's pretty. I'm actually going to say it's a bit on the weaker side uh, for the things at the moment. Yeah. With especially how things are going, like oh, I think the stock of the single like utility Libby is almost in freefall just due to the fact that you're going to want to you're going to want the option to take a Border Witch in this meta at the moment with T Suns and, and GKs on the rise. Taking the single utility Libby. Could be a horrible plan, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah. I hadn't quite um, thought of that. As for the yeah. obscuration discipline, sorry, go, Chris. Yeah, no, I was just agreeing with you. I think that's a really good point. All right, we are up to the you can't see me, the John Cena's discipline, or the never heard of <laughs> discipline because I've never used it. Uh, obscuration. Uh, tell me I'm wrong. Tell me this is better than a joke because I, I'm not seeing anything great here. Just due to the 
how restrictive the applications are. Chris, you can start on this one. <laughs> yeah, I don't like it very much. Um, if I was taking a Phobos Libby, it would probably be for that Warlord trait we are talking about before with the Death Watch, but I'd be taking mm. the Death Watch discipline. Um, yeah, not worth it. Fair. Denise? Uh, the huge, huge like elephant in the room nerf here is Term of Malkador not stretching across mm. multiple disciplines because Chris yeah. is exactly right. Like if you took um, like a Dark Angels or a Death Watch Libby and you could kind of sprinkle like Shrouding or Tenebris Curse in, like yep. there's some powers here that could be cool, but it's exactly that. It's the tax of a Phobus Libby instead of a Libby, giving up a bore, giving up a HQ slot. It's 100-ish points. Like it's a, it's a lot to balance and like a lot of hoops to jump through for one cool power, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like legit, if this was if these names were flipped, like I said with the last one, there's some good stuff here. Bind raid is legit. Pick a model, suffers a mortal wound. Roll three d six. If you beat their leadership, you you gain a command point. Cool, mortal wound gain the command point. It's only it's a six to cast. It's not too bad. Um, Tenebrous cursed is amazing. They suffer a mortal wound and they get their their movement hard. Advance and charge minus two'd. And then like there is actual double move here with, with yeah. temporal corridor. Like it actually is phenomenal. But the thing is, the units that you use it on aren't great, and the guy is a bit of a dead weight. Like so, it's just I think it's a bit of a miss. Uh, yeah, I think if Term of Malkador worked um, across disciplines, you'd see this a bit more for sure. Mm. Yeah, I mean, and like I said, if you if you could have six man. Of those Man. actual backline powerhouse units, like shrouding, would be would be great. Um, all right, moving on to the litanies, the the better psychic powers, the better, yeah, better psychic powers, the free ones. Yeah, yeah. It's literally how I thought of it when they came out. I was like, why the hell would I ever take a Libby when I could take a Chappie? Um, is, is that is that a fair statement, guys? Yeah, Probably I think when uh, the, the addition of yeah, like we, when the addition came out, it was um, definitely stronger on the Chappie side, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean. And this is, am I right in saying that from the 8th edition codex to the 9th edition codex, this is one of the only things that didn't lose power? Yeah, it, it stayed pretty strong. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is, that, is, that, is that fair, Chris? Yep, for sure. Um, all right. So touching on a couple of the things here, um, obviously, Canticle of Hate is a literal build around. It's a literal activator for whatever armor you take. All Marines are decently good in combat, especially when they get to Assault Dock, and then Canticle of Hate just makes you go, right? It's just that if if anything's an auto-take, it feels like Canticle of Hate is, yeah? and he makes a chappy in auto-take, I feel. Um, but are there any of the other ones you guys see get huge amounts of mileage, game in, game out, and people should continue to take into the future? Yeah, the other ones are um, sort of a little bit army-dependent. So, yeah, the Canticle of Hate, you're going to take that in any combat-based army, particularly makes your deep strike charges um, something you can actually uh, plan on, you know, probably happening. Um, but after that, you know, you, you might take the... Um, uh, buff the chaplain himself up, um, turn into a bit of beat stick. You might take one yep, of the shooting of ones. Um, yeah, sort of de- depends on exactly how your army is structured, but uh, n- none of them are as strong as the Canticle of Hate. It's interesting to me that I, in the, the Marine metagame, I've seen, well, at the start of this edition, especially the start in the middle of the edition, I used to see a lot of the shooting ones taken in the Chappie. Like, the Chappie was actually sitting back a lot of the time, laying out plus ones to hit, plus ones to wounds. And we've seen that shift quite a lot, especially with the drop-off in the, the D3 plus 3 damage. A lot of the Redemptors have dropped off, been replaced by you know cheaper Contemptors um, who do a bit better into some of the, the more problem armies out there. But those litanies have changed as well. But it seems like almost every Chappie is a Smash Chappie now, yeah? Yeah, I, I guess the, with the state of the game and having to get there and, and do stuff in the middle of the board, um, the, the strength of a strong shooting backline started to drop. So all of a sudden, you're not just wasting units on a sh- or wasting points on a shooting unit. You're wasting points on a chaplain buffing the shooting unit, where it could just be running at you. Yeah, so, spot on. Yeah, and then of course, what if you're going to double down that now, aren't we? Mm. 
Yeah, Chris, I, um, do you think that statement if, holds true? And do you think that's uh, that's incorrect? If- no, I think it's think it's correct. I just wonder if um when you're thinking back to more shooting buffing chaplains, that was before the bike primaris chaplain existed um because he did come out a bit after the ninth ed codex possibly and, and you know he's he's the real reason you want to um take the combat chaplain he has that extra attack and heaps of extra movement yeah that's fair that is a fair call and maybe that's what i'm remembering um but yeah because some of these buffs like you look at the what i, I couldn't i couldn't understand how they let there be so much power in these litanies and so little power comparatively in the psychic power in the psychic tree and the wall of trace comparatively as well it just seems like the chappy was po- more powerful than both of those put together like if you were build your own psychic tree out of every other rule in the book the litany will still be more powerful it just seems like they're that much better yeah maybe yeah i think it's it's interesting because you have you have ways to buff the litanies like you can get wise orator to cast on a two mm. plus but then you've got the strat to auto cast a litany when you haven't um uh, you haven't cast one yet or, or recited one yet so i always find when i've got a chaplain and something needs to happen i'm always tossing up like do i roll this dice or do i just spend the cp yeah and, like you can you can kick yourself so hard if you're like, nah, nah, I'll roll the dice and you get a one. And it's like, oh, well, I can't re-roll this. So this is horrific. Like everything mm. falls apart. So um, I still think there's some things that hold the litanies in check. But but yeah, they're, they're pretty strong. And the question is, if you're going to take the, the uh, chappy, it's it's obviously awesome. Like you could almost build around this. <laughs> um, mm. the, the one thing I'll add is the fact that the litanies change to being recited in the command phase versus start of battle round has really affected how good Litany of Faith is as psychic, a psychic defense Litany, and it's definitely not seen as as much now. Yeah, that's that is very true, especially as with the um the addition of you know almost an auto take apothecary as well, giving you oh, some yeah. mitigation or already built in that you don't need to waste a Litany on. Exactly. All right, Chris, we are jumping over to a page 113. Now we might spend a little bit of time on this because I think there's quite a bit to unpack here with the secondaries. But what were you? What was your first impression? When you crack these secondaries, uh, oath of the moment is is incredibly strong. Was the first impression, and the rest of them are not. Um, and <laughs> I think that's still the case. I I would have said that's still the case. <laughs> to my mind, oath of the moment is still possibly the premier secondary in the game. Um, nothing gives you as many points for doing as little. Maybe stubborn defiance is as good or better. Maybe there's another one I'm not thinking of right now. The, but Denise, um, what's your hot take? Oh, sorry, Chris, you continue. The Blood Angels one where you just got to have units in the opponent's <laughs> deployment zone um, tends to be pretty nuts oh, in a lot of armies. But, but yeah. be the storms, baby. Hands be the storms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's absolutely up there. Um, but it just, it just felt like this was the this was the one that says, um, get points for being Marines. Here you go. Here is your ba- here is your bucket of points, sir. Congratulations. Pat on the shoulder. Um, Denise, how do you think about this? Well, this was it, wasn't it? Like this was what put Marines so much higher than all the other factions that had didn't have codexes and you know or had codexes that were a bit lackluster. It's that they could fill that third secondary, and that was key. Mm. Like you could take engage in all fronts or domination. You could take banners or you know uh, scramblers at the time. Now retrieve Atarius data. But that third one, if your mission wasn't good or if your opponent didn't give up something up would always be a weird one and this filled that Mm. spot so well and it didn't just like give you an option it gave you like a 15 for just playing like it it gave you so much Um, and i think this is almost like when you play against marines you know how everyone starts with 10 points of battles forged it's almost Mm -hmm. like they started with 20 like it's almost like they started with a bit more so this was the big icing on the cake for marines i think and look i think it's still strong i think it's still good um it's just that other armies can can stop it a bit. Like if you just get charged by stuff, that doesn't matter. Like you have to fall back. It's just a bit annoying. But yeah, I think well, it's I'm, okay. I'm I'm going to go a little bit further. I'm going to say this is one of the reasons that um, Marines are staying relevant 
Yep. I think without this secondary, if they didn't have this power in this secondary, they'd be nowhere near as good as they are right now because they're kind of staying at this kind of they just keep rolling through whichever successor traits whichever um supplement keeps them strong always with this fallback of if all else fails i've got oath i've got i'm gonna get get 10 points you know um i feel like without this secondary they they wouldn't be in free fall but they wouldn't be as highly regarded um what do you guys think about that start with chris yeah i think that could be true yeah yeah, dude, I 100% agree. It's like the biggest crutch of them all, like more than the yeah. contemptors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was about to say, this is if they have a crutch, it's not a unit, it's not a data sheet, it's not even a, a chapter tra- a tactic. It's this damn secondary. Um, I, I want to um, sort of uh, point out something too. I think some people feel that if there's not a middle objective, uh, it's not as strong because you don't want to have, you know, don't want to be committing units to the middle of the board. Um, I think that is completely wrong, and it's it's almost the opposite. I think that oh, yeah. um, when there's no middle objective, it's just so much easier to put a unit there and have it live. Mm. Um, your, your opponent's not prioritizing the middle. Like if you just put something really easy to kill, they might take it out. But if you're pressuring them and if you have something which is you know maybe uh, out of line of sight and within six inches of the middle of the table, that's just so hard for your opponent to justify abandoning objectives to take that unit out. Um, so I think it's it's always a good pick. I will double and triple. I'm assuming Denise is going to triple down oh, on yeah. that. But I think if you are not willing to take this when there's not an objective in the middle, you've built your list wrong. And you should put things in there that you want to stick in the middle that you don't care about. For, oh, Denise, you do... You go first, and I'll, I'll wrap up. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, um, there's Chris is 100% right. Like, if there's no objective in the middle and your opponent doesn't have the shooting capability to, to shift something that you put there and they've got to run a unit at you, then they're just wasting resources that they could yeah. be putting on primary. But we have to be quite careful because we're getting into a meta where Marines are no longer the attrition king. Like, there's armies that really crush Marines, like Drakari and even Admech now in the attrition game. So it, it is a very fine line to, to say, okay, when do I put that unit in the middle or do I need it on primary if there's no objective in the middle? But, uh, but yeah, really good point by Chris. Like, don't just disregard it if there's nothing in the center. Yeah, I mean, I heard the statement being like, oh, I don't want to pick it in a game that doesn't have a middle objective. And I'm like, that's when you pick it because there's an objective there, but only for one of you guys. Yep. <laughs> there's an objective there for one of you instead of having an objective there for two of you, you know? Uh, but for me, I mean, if I bring a single attack bike and then in games where I can or I'm playing Dark Angels, I bring a two, you know, two company veterans with combat shields. So good. You know? <laughs> and you just, first turn, attack bike goes on it. Uh, cool, you killed it. Second turn, combat veterans go on it. And if there's cover there, there's two, there's four wounds there with a one-up save that is so annoying to try and get rid of with shooting. Like, so toxic. Well, you're going to shoot Ballastari at him? That's a win. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it feels good. Um, yeah, so and by all means, go for it. All right, we are into the... Sorry, go. Just just when you've got a really Chris? small small unit, um, it's, it's often the case that you can hide it within six of the middle so they can't shoot it anyway without going way out of their way. Yeah, we, I think up in Queensland, they had to make a ruling, um, didn't they, Denise, that if you had a centre objective, you couldn't have anything within six of it, like any ruin within six of it? Is that true? Or within three of it? Oh, so you look, couldn't I, be. I may not have I, heard this, but yes, this sounds like it would be horrific if, uh, if there was a ruin there. Yeah, <laughs> I think because our good man Duck would infiltrate up like a, a Phobos 
never heard of unit and just sit like one his reaver lieutenant within three of it the entire game out of line of sight untargetable because of course all the we, we play through eighth edition all all our ruins that we play on the bottom line of sight's freaking covered isn't it? there's no windows so if you yeah. get one model there <laughs> it's just up uh, 10 points in the bag single like for 70 points um we're going to go over to the data sheet section now for the data sheet special rules um page 124 um so this encompasses the new angels of death conglomerate um what um and they shall know no fear gives you as well we're going to talk about because i've just chucked all these together now there's on two pages for some reason you get the army special rules and the data sheet special rules shock assault combat doctrines all these things um if you got who wants to, to talk a little bit about the the package that you get for being a marine and how well that has held up over time are you underneath Oh, yeah, of course. So um, at the start of ninth, they kind of pulled everything together. So they get uh, you know, the Angels of Death gives them uh, ignore combat attrition. It gives, you know, if you stand still, if you're not a Centurion, um, if you're Infantry Terminator Biker or whatever. Oh, well, Terminator Bikers get it all the time, but you get full rapid fire on your bolter weapons, which is nice. Um, you get Shock Assaults, which is plus one attack when you charge, get charged or heroic. Um, and then, of course, Doctrines, if you're a pure Marine Army. Um, get increased AP. So all of this got conglomerated into one uh, great rule. Um, it's good, but I guess I'll let you guys talk on it as well. Um, everyone around us got better stuff too. So now it's like, I never thought I'd see this, but it's falling by the wayside just a little bit. What do you guys think? Chris? Uh, yeah, it's it's decent in its own right. Like the doctrines are a nice thing to have. They're not incredibly strong, but where they do become incredibly strong is where you get the extra bonus to the doctrine for um, the chapter you pick. So, like, if you're playing White Scars, mm. you're getting an extra AP and an extra damage in the Assault Doctrine, and that is one of the most powerful rules that any army um, gets access to just, you know, for taking pure that army. So, you know, when you, when you put it all together, it becomes quite strong, I think. Uh, it's, a, it's a really interesting change with the Doctrines. I almost feel like if they went back to you being able to just stay in whichever Doctrine you want, it wouldn't be OP now. It would pr- it probably would. And I'm not, not just saying it like the Redemptors and the Contemptors would, would probably go through the roof and it'd be a shooting gallery again. But I feel like it wouldn't, they, they wouldn't be at mech level ri- ridiculous um, if they did. Um, but it's interesting, the Shock, shock Assault's one that, that scratches my head, yeah? Because so this book came out and then, you know, of course, Dark Angels came out as a supplement that came, um, not to, I think, shortly after as well with death guard death guard had hateful assault built into their profiles everyone just got plus one attack but just the whole army just got plus one attack essentially because they just built hateful assault into the profile rather than it being a conditional thing i actually think it's starting to hurt marines that they don't have it just built in 100 percent. yep <laughs> yeah it's actually it's actually kind of becoming a big deal because all of a sudden there's so much it's so much uh of you needing to get that charge needing to be charged can't just be piled into and a lot of the time like marines are getting charged more than ever before at the moment i believe yeah like in eighth edition i didn't i didn't charge the bastards <laughs> stuff that that's a horrible idea um, but you know I, everybody's charging marines now you've got repentia zephyrum um name name the sakaran unit you know everybody's coming in <laughs> um trying to gut them because they all can uh, and it feels like that's just it's just fallen off hugely yeah i don't um, feel like space yeah, marines as for need, the rest uh, of it sorry Adam. um you're right chris okay uh i don't feel like space marines need the extra attack for more than one round against a lot of these units you're pointing out though um, for instance, if, you know, a Drakari unit charges you, um, you know, you'll get that extra attack. I mean, they'll probably kill you. Sure, that's that's fair. In the <laughs> case where they didn't, um, you'll probably kill them back. And the same is true for things like Zephyrum, Repentia. Um, so I, I don't think it costs you that bad. I think probably the biggest impact it has 
um, is the same as it's always been, and that is when units charge something else and then pile into you, you don't get the attack. I think that one comes up more. Mm, yeah, the fair, the being tapped or wrapped or all those little bits. Um, how about, what did, Chris, did you give us your thoughts on doctrines and how they're holding up? Uh, yeah, I, I mentioned that, you know, they're okay, but with the, the super doctrines for being a specific chapter, that's where they really shine. It's almost like, so remember with the last codex when you could just stay in whatever one you wanted, like the, the supplement and the army was defined by which which doctrine gave them the super yeah. bonus. And like, yeah, I, remember, where, I remember the Dark Angels, yeah, sorry, go Chris. That's where Imperial Fists are actually good. Mm, exactly. I remember crossing my T's and like crossing all my fingers and toes that Dark Angels would come out having one for the Devastator Doctrine. Because if you had a <laughs> Devastator Doctrine bonus, you were automatically good. Even though they had the worst of the Devastator Doctrine bonuses, you were just automatically good because you were super-powered from first turn. It feels like that's almost been flipped. And that if you have a... That Devastator Doctrine bonus is the worst one you have because you only get one turn out of it. And people, a lot of people are hiding with the amount of, of density of terrain we have. And turn one is kind of a non-event, like you know three games out of five. Uh, it seems like Tactical Doctrine is better and Assault Doctrine is best if you can have one uh, because you guarantee you get three turns out of it what do you guys feel about that statement the, the kind of the flip of that polarity on its head from a codex to codex yep i agree man and especially because um you know the, the state of the game is no longer a big shooting gallery you need to move you need to fight on points the assault doctrine ones and the attack doctrine ones are really really mint yes yeah, 100 chris what do you think yeah your point about um units uh, armies being typically hidden Turn one, I think, was was a real big factor in why the Devastator Doctrine bonuses aren't great. Because, yeah, the game is balanced around having a lot of terrain and being able to hide most armies um, in your deployment zone, which I think is an awkward spot for the game to be in, but it is where it is. Um, so, yeah, that's a big, big downside for the Devastator Doctrine bonuses. Beautiful. All right, on that, we will segue into talking about some data sheets. Yeah, there's like a hundred of these, you know, <laughs> whatever. Um, uh, so we're just going to cherry pick a couple of the ones that we feel like have changed in the way that they're used or, you know, have stayed evergreen, so to speak. Um, I'll, let, I'll let you boys pick one each. We'll start with Denise if you've got one that comes to mind that you want to talk about. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll touch on one. Can we, can we talk about the, uh, the Chappie, the Primaris Chappie on bike? Sure, for sure we can. Tell us a story. Yeah, so that was that was a bit of an upgrade. And, and like you said, Adam, um, now you could get your litanies anywhere you wanted pretty quickly with, with this guy. Um, and he was also a bit of a beat stick in the sense that he was like, what, T5, seven wounds, a ton of attacks. Um, had a good gun, <laughs> which was one thing yep. good. Um, so, like, he was nice. And because his base was so big, he was so effective at dishing out these litanies. And it, was, it wasn't it was a big points jump from your previous chaplain. So I think the introduction of, of the biker chaplain was so so solid for Marines. And that kind of put litanies back on the map in terms of a good carriage for it. Um, and, of course, you can make him a smash captain with, you know, Mantra Strength plus Benediction of Fury plus Warlord Traits, um, which, which made him still solid. Um, I think he still holds up. I haven't run a chaplain in the Death Watch list for a little while. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think he's solid. I think, uh, yeah, is there any, any other HQ units you guys want to hit on? Um, not so much HQs for me. Chris, about yourself? Uh, no HQs. Yeah, Chris, are you willing to go with yours? Yeah, I, I really want to talk about intercessors. Um, that was going to be my one. Well, I'm glad I got in first. You can just pretend that you were copying me and uh, and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I think late 8th edition, early 9th edition, intercessors were a really good unit. They're a powerhouse unit. You go back to um, sort of CanCon LVO 18 months ago, 
um, you know, uh, I won CanCon, Siegler won um, LVO with like 40 intercessors in the list. Um, but gradually over time, they have gotten worse and worse and worse to the point now where I think intercessors are not unplayable, but they're a bit of a tax. Um, a lot of people are running no troops in their Space Marine armies or one for patrol, three for battalion if you feel you've got to, but you don't run more than that. Um, so this downgrade's been going for a while. Like when Death Guard Plague Marines came out, they were sort of better for the points. But more recently, you compare an Intercessor for 20 points to a Grey Knight Strike Marine for 22. Goodness me, you don't want to be the one <laughs> bringing bad. the Intercessors. Feels bad. That was exactly the point I was going to make as well. All of a sudden, the 20-point Intercessor, it doesn't do much. It doesn't do a lot. Like, for the 20 points, comparatively, it does very little, in fact. He's not that durable. He's not that killy. You know, what are you actually buying? And is it worth it? Yeah, I, I think it's not worth it. I think, um, so if you're playing, like, White Scars, you might bring your Assault Intercessors because with all the bonuses they can get, they can hit hard. But otherwise, I like Infiltrators now. Um because I think the utility they provide um, is is much more relevant than the um, little bit of extra damage that intercessors provide, given that yeah. it's just not enough anymore. Mm, spot on. Um, Denith, your thoughts on the troops choices? Yeah, it's a really good point uh, you guys discussed. I mean, intercessors lost their, like their shooting doesn't matter anymore when before it kind of did, mm. and their combat doesn't matter anymore because everything else fights the same as they do. Um, so you're just paying like the points for a body and there's so much more you can do. Like Chris said, you know, comparing it to yeah. a GK strike Marine, like you may as well pay that same amount of points for something good <laughs> that, you know, yep. controls the middle of the yep. board or, you know, in curses or even just like basic tack Marines. If you want to fill a troop spot now that they're on two mm. wounds, like they're just cheaper and nicer. So exactly right. I think the fact that, uh, intercessors are almost free fall, uh, in, in their stonks, uh, leads me to believe that I think just think patrols, are, it, it made me feel like patrols was way better than battalions. Like the, the, it feels like there is so much power in so many other sections and none of it's in the troop slot, apart from a utility pick of like, you know, incursors, in, uh, infiltrators, depending on your meta and what the rest of your build is. Yeah. Like, um, I'm gonna, apart from that, I almost go. I'm going to disagree with a couple of things that have been said. First of all, I don't think incursors are particularly better than infil, uh, than intercessors um, these days. Like they do a little more combat damage and they have the um, uh, forwards deploy, but they, they're still just a weaker underpowered unit. So, I much prefer mm. infiltrators because um, they do actually have a powerful effect on the game. Um, and the other thing is, intercessors do their damage is relevant because um, their shooting and combat will kill a lot of the things floating around. You know, your witches, um, a lot of the admech stuff, a lot of the sister stuff. It's just everything trades up with them. Anything yeah. um, you know that people take will be able to come from quite a big distance away and kill them, and probably. Um, cost less points to do so. That's a great point. That's a great point. Because um, yeah, hundred points for the five of them. That's if you don't take a grenade launchers or your or your power fist, power sword, thunder hammer, whatever. It it does actually feel really bad at the moment, and I suppose that is a big thing people have to deal with. Um, you know, where is the over under? What you're willing to invest there? All right. Um, jumping over to a couple that I want to talk about because there's two units in the elite slot. There is uh, Vanguard vets and there's Blade Guard that have both stayed legitimately potent throughout the term of this codex through all the meta changes and even through points changes as well for vanguard veterans um do you see those things ever dropping off in the future or are they just going to be mainstays uh for the length of ninth edition we'll start with denise look i think um vanguard vets are losing a bit of stock aren't they like they got a bit of a points hike for their war gear 
Um, mm-hmm. But they're still solid. Like you, you can't say they're a bad choice. And it's kind of what Chris said before. A lot of things still trade up with two wound marines, like uh, Dark Eldar do, Admech do. Yeah. You know? So um, it's they're in an interesting spot. I still think they're good uh, because there's a lot of in, like combos you can stack with them, like White Scars, good with them, obviously, with the Lightning Claws. Anything that's born heroes and whirlwind of rage is good for Vanguard vets. Mm. Uh, Blood Angels Vanguard vets are still solid, um, so I, I definitely don't don't disregard them or think they're a bad choice. It's just when you fully kit that Vanguard vet unit, it comes close to like what 150 points for just five dudes, or like yeah. a lot of yep. points for five dudes, right? Jump pack, storm shield, claw, or like hammer or whatever. Y- you kind of got to look at what it's doing for that points value. And if there's five cabs on an objective that it's fighting, and then it'll and then it dies instantly, then probably not the best thing to do or like five infiltrators for admec which is what 85 points it's going in there fighting it mm. and then it's dying to something else we start to lose that nutrition wall so um mm. they're in an interesting spot um i still think blade guard are okay i actually am not the person to talk about blade guard vets because i haven't used them much uh, chris probably has a bit more than experience than i do no i don't tend to go for that either i'm not a big fan of the um more uh, bubbly sort of space marine army where you you know, have slower moving, more durable units. Um, I mean, well, I might do that, but if I'm going to do that, it's more going to be with Redemptor Dreadnoughts that have the shooting capacity as well. Mm. But having said that, Bladeguard are still a very strong unit. And I think if there comes to be a point where Bladeguard aren't relevant in the meta, that probably means there's a, a problem with the game because they are so durable um, for their points. Mm. And if if there comes a time where they're not durable enough for their points, then we, yeah, you've you've got issues. Nothing's really going to be surviving. Well, I see. It's, so it's thirty five points for a blade guard, and that seems to be the starting point for your um your versatile, well, semi versatile, durable, potent melee unit. There's so many things that start at that points cost in different armies. Uh, but I was, I was I had a list of them in my head, and I've forgotten bloody all of them. Um, <laughs> of, course, of course, is is the way it goes. But yeah, that thirty five point, that thirty five price point. Um, it seems to be where G-Dubs start with all their things, like Grotesques, like your um, you know, Bulgarin at 35 points as well. I'm hoping they stay around that much points in the new decks. Um, but yeah, it'd be interesting to see what else comes out in that range, in that price range. Um, there is a bunch, like the Elite slot is so dense. There is a bunch of other things we were talking about. Um, people were losing their minds over Invictors at the start of the edition, and they've only really stayed good in like certain builds. Like I think Deathwatch and Ultramarines are the only two builds where I think they still hold up. But what do you guys think? They're good in ultras. I'll, I'll definitely give them that. Um, mm. I guess if something can kill a raider, it can kill an Invictor Warsuit, can't it? It's fair. That's so true. It's, yeah, it's that's tricky. Yeah. yeah, Invictor Warsuits are good at killing a lot of things in the meta. Um, I think their damage is dropping off a little bit. I think um, when you're building a list, you do need to have orcs in mind at the moment with Ramshackle. That is an incredibly strong ability to have across the board, and um, it does... Um, mean you don't want to stack your army with things that are less than strength eight um, if they're multi-damage. Mm. So that knocks the Invictus down a little bit in my book. Dude, beautiful transition to the next one, Inceptors. They were kind of the best thing in the book upon release. Well, them, them and the Apothecary, everyone's losing their minds about how cost-effective they were. People were taking multiple units of, you know, I saw people taking multiple units of five, like 10 of the damn guys. And then I saw people taking two units of four, a unit of three. Everyone was taking some version of this unit. Um, but they've seen a pretty hefty decline, mostly, I think, because of what we talked about before, their inability to trade up. Like, they'll come down and they'll they'll kill something probably less valued than themselves and then die pretty meaninglessly. Um, do you think they have any place in the meta at the moment? And do you think they're going to stay that way or, or come back into vogue with some of the releases that are coming out in the future? I, I, I think, think that you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, 
So I think that a big part of their issue is that they have gone up, I think, 10 points since their release. I think they've had two five-point jumps. Um, I, I think they still have some utility. Those having two weapons that are D3 shots with blast means they're getting, you know, six shots each against anything with more than five models. So I like to try and fit just a unit of three in there still. Um, like if you come up against seven Sanguinary Guard or something like that, oh boy, those three Plasma Inceptors look like a deadly unit. Oh, yeah. um, so mm. you're not going to run a lot of them anymore, though, given A, their price point, and B, as you said, they, they don't trade up against quite a lot of things floating around anymore. <laughs> And if you're going to take any more than like four of them, you you have to bring some support for them. Like which which and that's where it gets awkward, right? Like you, you have to bring a captain. If you and if, if you bring a captain, oh, do I bring a chappy as well? If I'm bringing a chappy, do I bring a lieutenant as well? And all of a sudden, you've got this like huge density of points in this one unit that may just get picked up the first time it gets used. But um, gents, any other data sheets you guys want to talk about? Um, just as a blanket, we could talk about all the heavy vehicles in the list. Um. The quick summary is they all still suck. Like almost every, <laughs> like almost every heavy vehicle in the game at the moment. Um, the game's just not. Mm. It's not friendly to heavy vehicles, and that's probably the biggest balance problem across the board. But um, in case anyone was thinking, should I bring out my Land Raider or my um, uh, Storm Raven? Nope, unfortunately, I believe that is 100% the case. It's only gotten worse. Even they, it was bad before everything got D3 plus 3 damage. And yeah. now it's just like, nah, never. Um, I do want to talk about the two new units, or the two new kits that came out with this thing. So we got the Gladiator uh, chassis, all, the, all those variants, and we got the Storm Speeder variants. And I, I'm just going to drop on this. I've never heard of these models. I don't know what they are, what they do, because literally I looked at their data sheets once and now I've completely forgotten when, about all When Attack Bikes got um, a points hike, I was so ready to see heaps of like Storm Speeder, Hammer Strikes, the Melter ones, but they're still bad. <laughs> yeah, they're still, not awful, aren't they? Same with the, They're just like yeah. that little bit off. They're like th- 20 or 30 points off being like amazing. They're like... They're almost mm. like a little palace grab tank, right? But they just die. Yeah, they just explode. Chris? Yeah, they're not um, quite heavy vehicles, but they kind of come into that category for me. You know, they, they die easily. They're not core. They're not actually cheap. Um, I don't really want to run them. Mm. I, um, I I keep thinking that the Gladiator is paying for the Repulsor Executioner's sins, and g is just really reluctant to let them be good. Yeah. Um, I just, just really, just want to, don't want to pull the trigger on them. I actually, I was looking at the, I was looking at the Admech meta when the, the you know, the Sakara, the Skitari bodies have been everywhere and all this stuff. I was looking at the Gladiator Reaper. And I was like, huh, if I could make that thing just not explode instantly to like three Ballastari, that would be good. But then I realized it explodes instantly to three Ballastari, and it's not good. So you yeah, know, <laughs> and there's no way to keep the damn thing on the table because it's just the like toughness eight just isn't durable. Um, it does, doesn't make something durable anymore. Um, all right, gentlemen. On that note, we are going to wrap up this part one. Is there anything we've missed here? Anything you guys think we need to cover? Can't believe we didn't talk about all the uh, Crusades. No, I don't I'll think anything. Yep. Oh, we missed that whole. Set, oh no. Right? Crusade. Oh, geez, you got. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. I'm gonna start doing a part three of this podcast just for the Crusade <laughs> rules review. Um, not that I've ever played it, unfortunately, but you know, hell, I've barely played Ninth Edition as it is due to lockdown. So here we are. Um, and all of a sudden, people just stop unsubscribed to my podcast because they realise I, I haven't had a chance to play much, and it's just the tale of the world at the moment. I'm gonna get Seamus to cut that out. <laughs> <Bye>. <laughs> that uh, gentlemen, thank you so much. For 
thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for your uh, views and your brains. And uh, yeah, hopefully people have enjoyed this retrospective review. We're going to be doing this a bit more as we see the gaps in the content being released because we've only got one codex coming up in the next month as we've already reviewed the Orc decks. I'm going to slot in the Dark Angels one. I'll slot in the Death Guard one and we'll start getting this train rolling. Um, although I do want to still hold off a little bit longer on some of the other ones. Like I'm, I'm not going to do Drakari for a couple of months. I still think, obviously because I think they're just as strong as they were when they came out pretty much. I don't think that's really changed for them is that, uh, you know, Admex somewhat keeping them in check. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll do these things as they come. Please let me know how you guys feel about these retrospective reviews. And of course, go over and give the normal bloke some love and please support the Australian WTC team if that is something you're interested in. Gentlemen, anything you'd like to mention before we sign out? Chris? Uh, no, just, uh, yeah, join us on the second half. Should be good. Yeah. Yeah, oh, thanks, Adam, for having us. And uh, look for any Marine players. Don't lose hope. There's there's always stuff in this book. It's deep. And just keep looking, keep practicing, and you'll find something. If I was a if I was a dedicated Marine player, which I almost am, apart from like you know dabbling in guard and maybe knights in the future, I would I would go out and I just I just buy and learn every single supplement because I feel like that's the only way they're going to stay relevant. Is just how fluid the dedicated marine players are willing to be with what which which decks they play. And hell, you know what? If you're just if you're just gonna play the you know, where with the rage and board heroes, all you're really doing is exchanging one like, you know, a toolbox for another. And, yeah. and you just it's pretty much saying the same thing with just a different set of parameters on strats and relics. And just, and just anyway. own it. Like just just own that that cheese, you know. Just don't don't yeah. let anything hold you back. Just look for everything you can. Right. <laughs> yeah, you just you know buy stock in the deli. You know you're a cheese you're a cheese merchant now. Get in there. Uh, all right, guys. You take care and have a wonderful rest of your days. I'll see you on part two. Thank you for listening to Art of War Down Under, a content review podcast for Warhammer 40k. Hosted by Adam Camilleri. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Enjoyed the show? Want your lists reviewed and the content you heard put into practice? Sign up to our Patreon and connect with us online or on Facebook. Just search for Art of War Down Under. Signing out from tomorrow.